I am glad to be able to share the Word of God with you today. I'm excited. Uh, I think it's an appropriate text for me. Um, yesterday we had our, uh, my daughter had a bridal shower. Uh, she's getting married in September. And uh, so I get this uh, first uh, um, sign, this first miracle uh, from this uh, story in John of the wedding at Cana. So that's uh, something that's happening uh, in our life right now. We've actually, Patty and I have actually been in this uh, flow of good celebratory things that have been happening this year. And uh, I really liked what Jay Brenneman said a couple of weeks ago. He said, uh, he said, when you're, you can, don't always be looking for the hardship. We always think, oh, the hardships come, the hardship. He said, get in the flow. If you're in the flow, praise God for that you're in the flow. And don't be looking over your shoulder for something to fall, you know, to fall or fail. And so in, um, in May, Patty and I had our first great-grandchild born. Our first great-grandchild, a little girl. And then, uh, <clears throat> and then last night, even though we had our bridal shower for our daughter, so we got the marriage coming up in September, something to celebrate. But last night, uh, late, right when we were going to bed, uh, our... Eighth grandchild was born. <laughs> so that's, I think it's our fifth grandson uh, was born last night. So we were up, uh, they are keeping us, they're in Atlanta. So uh, they are keeping us informed till about two. Patty stayed up and I went to sleep, sorry. But uh, excited this morning that the baby was born. Uh, so a lot of things to celebrate. And then coming up in uh, December, uh, our second grandson, is getting married. So we've got all these celebratories, and I just want to say praise God. Thank you, Lord, for your abundance, for, uh, for the things that you do that are good in our life. Um, today, we're going to be looking, we're starting a series. We started last, uh, last week with a series um, <clears throat> in the Gospel of John, and Jeff Cook introduced the Gospel of John to us and uh, talked about uh, he's writing these things so that we will believe that will believe in Jesus' name. And so I get the privilege of telling about this first sign. So the book is broken down into seven signs and seven I am statements. And so we are going to, over the next, uh, what, 14, I guess that's 14 weeks of sermons on the Gospel of John, covering these different subjects. So um, I get this first sign. So I want to go to the end of the story to start with, all right? The end of the story. I've been entitled this message, Water to Wine, A Transformational Journey. So, <clears throat> is it working? There we go. The last verse of this story is, what Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. I want you to know that I'm a person who believes in signs and wonders. I believe in signs and wonders, all right? I believe in miracles. How many of you have ever experienced a miracle? Yes, thank you. I was, I was expecting hands to raise because we who belong to Jesus should be able to see Jesus at work in our lives, in the, in the, work, in the world around us. And what Jesus does in the world around us is miraculous things. And sometimes those miracles that we see are very personal to us. Sometimes they're very communal to us. Some of you who know Patty and I's story, 
Uh, Patty went through cancer uh, a couple of years ago, and I prayed and prayed. I was, exp I was wanting a miracle at that time. I wanted Patty to be spared from the chemo that almost took her life, the, the process that almost took her life. I wanted her spared, and I prayed and prayed that God would give this miracle. And I didn't get the miracle I wanted, but my wife still got the healing that she needed. And that's a miracle enough for me that she is still here. And I think that's the problem with miracles. Sometimes that uh, discourages us. It's not that we don't believe in miracles. It's just that we get discouraged when we didn't get the miracle we wanted to have. I didn't get the miracle that I felt God, that I deserved or that God should have showed up. And so we get all bent out of shape and out of our relationship with God, we get, become, become bitter because God didn't do what we knew he could do, but somehow he just didn't do it. And so we, we've all been in that place, and I was in that place. But I praise God that my wife uh, is here today and, and came through that uh, with, a, with healed and cancer-free. You know, I've also been in a place in my life where I needed a sign. How many of you ever needed a sign from the Lord? Ever experienced? Uh, did you get that sign? Did you figure that out? You know, <clears throat> there was a time in my life, I'll tell you one instance, but I needed a sign. Um, this is when, before Patty, just before Patty and I got married. Well, actually, it's just after Patty and I got engaged. I had been going through a very difficult time in my life. My life had actually gotten derailed. I had gone through seminary and uh, expected and graduated and expected to get out and become a youth pastor and, and be in ministry. But somehow my life got de derailed by a divorce. And... No one would ever know that about my life if I didn't bring it up. <laughs> and I'm bringing it up for a reason. When you say, well, Ray, you're very brave. You're going to talk about wine and divorce on the same Sunday. I say, That's a pretty brave dude. Right? I say, so hopefully you're not shutting me down or shutting me off right now because of uh, things that you hear. Patty and I, you know, we still have some of those things that are in the past that are still there. But Patty and I have been married 32 years. 32 years. Uh, and and uh, I'm just thankful for the life because my life started to change when I met Patty and fell in love and we got engaged. You know the verse, uh, there's a verse in Joel about uh, God restoring what the locusts had eaten. And we're going to look at the book of Joel here at the end of this uh, as we go through this uh, miracle. <clears throat> we're not going to look at that verse. But the, the verse is that he's going to restore uh, what the locusts had eaten. And so I had just met Patty, fell in love, and uh, things were going, I was getting in the flow, right? <laughs> the hardships seemed like they had been over, and, I, and the flow of God is starting to work in my life. And uh, I'm getting this family, I'm going to have an instant family, and I'm thinking, Lord, thank you, God, thank you for what you're doing. And at the time, instead of being in ministry, I was working for Pepsi-Cola. I was in Atlanta the, the Coca-Cola town working for Pepsi-Cola and driving a truck. And, and shortly after Patty and I got engaged, I was praying in the truck, Lord, I said, Lord, I will do this the rest of my life. I will marry, I will marry Patty and raise my family. And we were going to a very vibrant church and I was teaching in the, in the youth department. They had put me to work in the youth department. And I was teaching Sunday school, 
And I said, Lord, I will do this the rest of my life. I said, but if you have another plan for me, I said, don't laugh. Take this job from me. Because I don't think I can give it up. It was the most money I've, I've been making in, <laughs> ever. <laughs> and I thought, I cannot willingly give up this job right now. And, uh, and so I said, God, if you've got something else, something else, please take this job. And guess what? <laughs> Three days later, <laughs> I was out of a job. <laughs> uh, out of some freak accidents with my truck that weren't even my fault. And suddenly, but policy said I had to be dismissed because of it. And so I've learned a couple of lessons. Be careful what you pray for, all right? Uh, choose your sign. I should have signed win the lottery, promotion, something. Uh, not lose your job. Because <laughs> that sent us down a little spiral of, well, okay, what do I do next? But I knew, you know what it was so great about that sign? That I knew God had something more that he was going to restore and it, was just, and it was a couple of years later that I became a youth pastor. And then for 12 years, we've ministered at that church as full-time ministry. And God restored that. But I needed a sign then, you know. I needed a sign. You know, but sometimes we don't get the miracle and we don't get the sign we wanted. We, didn't get, we don't get the okay. And, uh, and that's when it comes to that I just have to trust the Jesus who has been revealed to me through the Holy Scriptures and through my life. It says here, what Jesus did here in the Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed. And I think there's sometimes in our life, more than a miracle, more than a sign, we just need to trust the Jesus that we know and love and who knows and loves us with our story. And we need to trust his story in our lives. We can't abandon that. We can't, we can't hang everything on a miracle or a sign. I have to hang everything on who Jesus is and who he promises to be in my life. And that means he's going to help me through this process. You know, sometimes with signs and wonders, our problem is we, we uh, I believe in signs and wonders, but the thing is, a lot of us want the same signs and wonders. So we read the book of Acts and we read through the Gospels and we would like to see God do the very same things that he's already done in scriptures. And I want you to tell you something. God is not the great duplicator. He's not the, he, he, does, he goes out of his way to make sure he doesn't do the same thing in the same way. Even if it's healing a person of the same disease, he does it in a different way. Because he is not a duplicator, he's an originator, he's a creator. He, he brings life into these situations. And so, uh, so we mistakenly want something that God is not going to give us, basically. But he still will give us signs and wonders. I started prayer partners with our leaders uh, this year. Because I knew, because when the leaders come to our, into our organization... They have made a commitment. They've said, I want to change in my life. They're saying, I want to change in my life. My life has been going this direction, but now I've heard this message about cross-purpose and the hope that I can have with cross-purpose, and I'm making a decision to come into this space and, and, uh, and go down this path. Hopefully, that's going to change my life. 
And you know what happens? All hell breaks loose sometimes in their life. Everything starts falling apart. Home, cars, <laughs> rent failing. There's all these things that happen. And I started thinking, these people need to see that God is at work in their lives. We need to partner them with people who will pray. Why? Because they need to see signs and wonders. They need, we need to put them in a place where they will see God answer. And at least if God doesn't answer the way that we think that he should answer, they have somebody that's going to walk with them through it and help them and lift them up and pray with them as they go through these things. So it's a, it's a beautiful thing uh, knowing, um, knowing that God can do what he does. So <clears throat> when I look at this chapter, this story of the water and the wine, I think of, I called this water to wine a transformational journey. And there's two types of transformation that occur in this story. I'm going to just put the next slide up there. <clears throat> there's two types of transformation that happens, and it's happened in all of our lives. It's, it's the way God works. Some transformation is immediate and instantaneous. It's immediate and instantaneous. When we come, when we come to Jesus and he's looking at the water and he's going to change it to wine, it's not a gradual thing. He instantly changes water to wine. He instantly makes that change. But, but there's also a transformation that occurs gradual over time. And that, this is present in the story as well. In this story, uh, and we'll look at it and say, maybe I'm jumping ahead just a little bit. Um, uh, so let me back up before we get through the progression. Because he's going to actually say that this wedding is a culmination of a seven-day journey that the disciples have taken. And we're going to look at that journey more than we're going to look at this miracle. We're going to look at this journey. This you know something. Jesus, and, and, the, and the beauty about this is that according to the new covenant, according to what God says he's going to do, the changing of our hearts, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we say, God, I give you my life, he says he comes in and he instantaneously and immediately changes my heart. It's the whole it's the whole basis of the new covenant that we have with Jesus. Uh, and when the, when the prophets prophesied about the new covenant, said, I'm going to do something about your failure to be able to follow me. He says, I'm going, to, I'm, going, I'm going to come in and I'm going to change your heart. I'm going to take out your heart of flesh, it says in Ezekiel. Both Ezekiel and Daniel talk about the new covenant prophesied. And, and you know what? It comes, he, they start talking about it after they've been in exile. Why? Because they're sitting in exile saying, why are we in exile? We had the law. We had Moses. We had King David. We had the land. We had, we had God on our side. How did we end up in exile? And Jeremiah said, it, Jeremiah said it clearly. You ended up in exile because your heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? He said it was incurable. I have a problem. We had a problem. I couldn't follow the Lord properly. Because my heart was incurably sick. And then Jeremiah and Ezekiel start prophesying, we're going to change that. We're going to change that in you. I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to pour my spirit into that heart. And so then you'll be able to obey me. You'll be able to follow me. You'll be able to do what I've called you to do. 
And that's the beauty of this new covenant. He came to change hearts. He came to change hearts that would renew minds. He doesn't renew our mind, then change our hearts. He changes our hearts so that our minds can be renewed. You know, our, our faulty thing is, um, I believe, before Jesus Christ, our heart was deceitful. You couldn't trust your heart. You couldn't follow your heart. Je- David, said, David said, my flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He said he actually had to deal with the fact that his heart and his flesh were bad. God takes care of the heart part for us. He gives us a new heart. I don't have, I'm still dealing with the flesh. I'm still dealing with some things in my life. But the heart has been made new. It's a new creation. It's the one thing. Think about it. When you came to know Jesus Christ, what changed? Did you, did you see something in your circumstances change? Did you see something? No, something happened instantaneously and immediately with the change of your heart. And he said, you became a new creation. And from now on, it, it's not that I shouldn't listen to my heart. I should pay attention to what's going on in my heart. My mind, I can't trust. I can't trust the way I think. But my, mind, my heart has been changed and the Spirit of God. Where should I be listening? To where the Spirit of God is in my life. And he makes it very clear that God has poured, Romans chapter 5, he has poured his Spirit into our hearts. We've experienced this love. It's poured in there. Jesus says, I came to baptize with the Holy Spirit. What did he do? He poured the Holy Spirit into our lives. That would forever change us. And so now I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to distance myself from my heart. I want to tune in. This is where the voice of God is. It also says that, um, that we've been given the mind of Christ. Did you know that's just another name for the Holy Spirit? And where does he pour that Holy Spirit? The mind of Christ is pouring into our hearts. He doesn't say he opens up our brains and pours in the mind of Christ. He pours it all into our hearts so that our new heart can change the way we think and actually change the way we act and what we do. So this new heart is such a beautiful thing that I feel like it's an untapped resource for most of us. We don't realize the core of our identity, what has been changed, and where we stand and sit with God. And so when I think about this, um, my... A lot of times I'm thinking, uh, I think we think that transformation comes from a renewed mind, right? Romans 12. Be tran- don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But how does that mind get re- renewed? It's from our hearts. We don't need our, what we're thinking in our mind to get down in our heart. We need what's in our heart to get in our head. We need it to come out, bubble up. God says, uh, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are thirsty. And, I, and he says, come in here and I will make you a river of love, of God's enduring love. I'll make it flow in you and out of you. And, and John says he's making reference to the spirit of God in us. So we need what God is doing in our hearts to actually bubble up and out of us and permeate our thinking and our minds. And man, I hadn't even got to the message yet. So... Uh, <laughs> I'm going to have to fly through this, this, uh, <laughs> this next few uh, things because uh, it's just so important that we understand what God has done in our life. Jesus has done something amazing. He said he came and he says, I'm, I'm the one making this covenant. I'm shedding my blood and breaking my body so that I can establish this covenant with you. 
It's what, how we interact with God. So when we come to this story, it's a culmination uh, into this wedding. We have this thing. In John, John chapter 1, he has this series of things. The journey begins, and I want to say that this is a true journey from water to wine. The message begins uh, with the water baptism of John, and it ends with the wine of Jesus. So there's a journey here that starts with the water baptism, the water, and ends with the wine that Jesus has to offer. And so when he says that uh, in chapter 1, verse 19, that's when it starts. And then John says there's a series of things. The next day, then the next day, then the next day, and then on the third day, which was the wedding day. So John wants us to see the sequence of events. He wants, this is a part of it. There's a, something that's going to culminate here at this wedding that is, has been part of this process. And so I want us to take at least a little time to look at this journey together. So day one, day one is the questioning of John. So we have the Jews, the religious elite, the scorners, the, the doubters, the skeptics, all coming and wanting to know from John, who is he and why is he baptizing? So they're asking John, who are you? And John, his response says, I am not who you think I am. I'm not the guy they come up, are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? And he says, no, 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 I am not any of those. Then who are you? I'm a voice crying in the wilderness, he says. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the paths of the Lord. And what does it say as you follow that passage? He, it says that, and it, when I'm doing this, when that voice comes and he makes straight, he says, God's glory is going to be revealed. God's glory is going to be revealed. We're going to see this person. Now, I want to, I want to think, I'm going to back up just a minute. When we're reading the scriptures, how many are familiar with the story form way? Are you, are you familiar with the story form way? Okay. Uh, okay, nobody's familiar with the story form way. <laughs> the story form way starts in the book of Genesis, and you're only allowed to look at that scripture based on what you're reading right then. So you're not allowed to go ahead in the story and say, well, I think it's talking about, the no, no, we haven't got there yet in the story. So we're going to follow the story, story by story, and let the revelation of God build as I'm looking at that story. And it's actually a very beautiful way to go through the, the especially the book of Genesis. As you go story by story and not, we have a tendency because we know the end of the story to start imposing the end of the story on the current story. Does that make sense? And sometimes we miss the jewels and the gems because of that. And so in this case, I think it's the same. We know the end of the story, so uh, I don't want us to impose the end of the story on the story that's happening right now. So John comes in and says, I'm not any of those. Because we know later Jesus says, uh, John is Elijah. But John's here saying, I'm not Elijah. And, and they're both right. All right? Both of them are right. There's an idea, if you know the story of Elijah, because we can, we can all use our prior knowledge now. So we have the old, whole Old Testament to reference as we look at these things. So we know from the story of Elijah that Elijah didn't die. Elijah was caught up in a chariot of uh, fire, and he doesn't die. And there was a thought, and then later it's prophesied that Elijah will return prior to the Messiah coming. 
So, but they were expecting a real person, the person, Elijah, that Elijah would come out. John knew he wasn't Elijah, all right? He, he knew he was John. He wasn't Elijah. They were expecting, and so he honestly said, I'm not Elijah, I'm John. But later, Jesus references that, yes, he, he is this. He came in the spirit of Elijah as his forerunner. So he, we're going through this. He said, I'm not this, I'm not that. He says, so why do you baptize? Uh, and he says, I baptize with water. And I'm going to go through this quickly. You should take this and really look at all these stories. You should look at every detail. There's so much here in this chapter. There's no way we can get to it all. So he says, I baptize with water. And this was a baptism of repentance. There was two kinds of baptism in the Jewish days out of the Jewish culture. And one of them was a baptism of repentance, which... John is doing. Now, that baptism of repentance mainly was for Gentiles who wanted to convert. They had been going the wrong way, not recognizing God. Now they are going to be baptized into the right way, the new way, come out of darkness and into light. And so, but John's is different because Jews are getting baptized. He's drawing a crowd of Jewish people, and they're getting baptized. And so they're coming out. If you're not one of these guys, then why are you baptizing? He goes, I baptize with water. He goes, you're actually, what I'm doing, he's saying, what I'm doing here is really not that big a deal. You know, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm baptizing with water. It's not changing anybody's heart. It's not changing anybody's life necessarily. He says, but among you, he says, there stands someone uh, that you do not know, that I'm not even able to unlatch his shoes. I'm not able to unlatch your shoes. So there's someone who's standing among you. He's actually saying, you're looking for the wrong guy. I'm just the forerunner. I'm just the voice coming before him. And this references chapter 40 of Isaiah as well. And if you read that whole chapter, you ought to go home and read it. Because he talks about this God who's coming on the scene. He's going to reveal his glory. And it's the same God who held the waters in his hands and then cast it out on the ground. And the lakes and the rivers and the oceans were formed. He's the same. It's this person that's coming that, that Isaiah is the voice crying ahead of. is the creator of the universe who formed the mountains. And no, and no one can uh, be his counsel. He's this great God. And he's just saying the same thing that John started this book with. The God that we're revealing to you, this man, Jesus Christ, who we're revealing to you, is the creator of the universe. They're making a big emphasis that he's a creator. And the first thing he does is what? Show his lordship over creation. He's bringing them to this wedding to change water into wine because he's the God creator of this universe. And they need to be aware of who they're, who they're looking for and who they're trying to follow. So day two, um, is the identification of Jesus. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then, G then John tells why he was baptizing. He said, the one who sent me told me, I'm assuming this is God the Father telling him, he said, the, the, one, the one that you baptize with water and the Spirit of God comes down and remains, that's my chosen one. And we know the, the story of the baptism is not recorded here. John's just remembering it. And I want you to know something. I believe that he has already baptized Jesus, and then Jesus goes off into the wilderness, if you remember, for 40 days. So he just disappears from the scene. After the, after the Spirit of God comes down, he just disappears from the scene. And I believe this is him reappearing on the scene now. 
And John sees him again. He says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And uh, immediately, what is the story you may think of when he, when he says Lamb of God? You know, John's the first one to coin this phrase, Lamb of God. There's no Old Testament reference of somebody being the Lamb of God. There's no other title. And, it, and we don't really hear it again until Revelation, where John picks up the narrative of the Lamb of God who is, who is bringing all things new and to a close. So, but the thing that we are referencing here is the Passover. So they, he, the Lamb of God to them, they would be reminded of being brought out of Egypt through the Passover. So what do you think that might be thinking in their minds? They're not uh, Isaiah chapter 3, you've already what you did wrong, and I'm, uh, I'm going to come back here. So they're thinking, hey, we're already off the hook. Sins of the world, that must be the sins of the Romans. That, that must be sins of every other thing that's oppressing us. And there's a signal here to them that maybe God's going to rescue them. So I want you to see this, that even though we're hearing the right things, they're thinking the wrong way. And you know what? God changes their hearts, changes their hearts, but it takes times to change our minds. We're going to, tell, we're going to see that most of these disciples will carry this narrative that God is going to somehow pull them out of Roman oppression and put them in some kind of authority. They do it all the way up to the ascension of Jesus. They don't, they don't let go of this thought until after the ascension of Jesus. So I got to fly now, all right? <laughs> Let me go through. Uh, day three uh, is the invitation of Jesus, come and see. So after John identifies it, only two guys catch on to it. And say, I think we should follow Jesus. <laughs> you know? And when it says there that they follow Jesus, they're actually stalking him, all right? They're just following him. Um, they're not following him in a spiritual sense. They're actually stalking him. And finally, Jesus turns around and goes, what are you guys doing? You know, and he said, hey, we'd like to, Rabbi, uh, where are you stand? We'd like to spend some time with you. And so he says, come and see. It's the first invitation. And I want you to, I want to key on this very quickly here. That God, uh, I think I'm going to move ahead here to a few slides to honor our time and honor your time. Uh, I want you to see here at the first here. I believe that Jesus always is coming to us with an invitation to enter his life. It's an invitation. So he says, come. I think he has three invitations. Come, follow, and go. Come to me, follow me, go with me. I believe that he's always inviting us into this space. And I believe as we follow God that we're doing all three of these invitations at the same time. They're happening simultaneously in our life. When Jay Brenneman was here uh, a couple of weeks ago, he, talked, he gave a quote from Richard Rohr about the three stories everybody's in. He said, the three stories are your personal story, your corporate story that we're in together, and then the bigger story of what's happening in the world. And all three of these invitations, I can, that, that's happening. But God says, you can go through all three of these stories with me. I'm inviting you to go, your personal story, come to me. Come to me. Bring your personal story in here. I will walk with you in your personal story. Follow me. He never calls us to follow alone. He's following, he's calling a band of people to follow him. And this is a corporate story. So he says, hey, I'm inviting you into this corporate providence, community group, whatever it may be, to follow me. Come a part of this. And then the bigger, which we'll get to in Matthew, he doesn't get to this invitation yet. He says, he says uh, you know, go, now go. Make disciples. Get a, be a part of the bigger vision of what's going on here. But each time in these different days, 
they're all recognizing that Jesus is here, and that, but they're saying something about him. He's the Messiah. He's the King of Israel. He's the Son of God. Here's the next invitation. Follow me. Philip, uh, Philip goes to, uh, he, Jesus comes to Philip and says, follow me. Philip goes to Nathaniel, says, come and see. You know, so all these invitations are being happening at the same time. And Jesus uh, is still trying to calm them down. They're jumping. They're jumping to the end. They're saying, oh, the Son of God. Now, I don't want you to get too excited about the Son of God part here. Because there's a reference to King David being the Son of God. The kings uh, are God's anointed. And so in some way they're... And that was a, a common thought among all kings that listened, that they were in position because of their relationship with God. Or they may be as God or the, at least the son of God. So they're making a, he's making a statement here, Rabbi, you must be the king. You must be the son of God. You must be the guy we should follow. But they're still got this revolutionary tone that they're thinking of. Now, the transformational journey. Why is Jesus coming? We said he came to change hearts. If he was judge, so he came to save it. And then Jesus wasn't coming as a revolutionary. If he was a revolutionary, he would be enlisting an army. He wouldn't be inviting people. He would be enlisting an army. Instead, he's looking for disciples to partner with him that together with them can change the world. Because that's what he's out. He's out to save the world, not judge it, not condemn it, not destroy it not to revolt, because those things don't change hearts. They bring an end to things. They don't change hearts, and he's interested in changing our hearts. And what does Jesus do? The first place he takes his band of disciples is a wedding. He doesn't go to the synagogue or the temple or to Jerusalem. He goes to Cana to a wedding. And how do you, how do you go to a wedding? How, do you, how would you get to go to my daughter's wedding? Invitation, yes. You only go to weddings because you're invited. Otherwise, what are you called? A wedding crasher, yes. <laughs> you're a wedding crasher. And later on, and Jesus actually picks up on this theme of wedding and goes through it. He starts telling parables about, hey, the kingdom of God is like uh, a wedding, and I'm going to invite everybody. And he's talking about people who don't want to come and then people who crash the wedding and not dress properly. And, and he's talking about this. And then he talks about to his disciples, he's being questioned, why don't your disciples do this? He goes, they don't do it because the bridegroom's here. There's a wedding. There, there's something wedding. And then we pick up this whole narrative that God's collecting the, the bride of Christ, and it's going to culminate in this marriage feast of the Lamb in Revelation. And so this wedding theme, the very first thing that he takes his disciples to is to a wedding to show that he's not about bringing judgment and revolution. He's about bringing celebration and change and life and love and, and everything that we would want in this world, he's able to offer it to us. He takes his disciples to a wedding. That sounds pretty revolutionary, doesn't it? So the wedding of Cana, we'll go quickly through this next part, and uh, I'll be done here in just a minute. They come and they have no more wine. Jesus' mother says, I have no more wine. If you're not watching The Chosen, by the way, if you don't know anything about The Chosen, you should watch The Chosen. You tell me, if you don't know anything about it, ask me later. I'll tell you about it. But the, the whole wedding, the whole story of this that they portray, uh, I boohooed all the way through it, okay? <laughs> it's an incredible story and an incredible depiction of this. 
So, but the Mary's mother, I mean, Jesus' mother comes to him and says, they have no more wine. And so Jesus looks over there and he says, hey, fill these jars with water. And this is where the second baptism, we've already talked about John's baptism of repentance. Now we're talking about the ceremonial washing that the Pharisees and the, and the, and the temple uh, system promoted. And he's saying, fill up those with water. Because he's going to show those aren't changing hearts either. Your ceremonial, ritualistic cleansing that you're doing at the temple and in synagogue are not changing your hearts. He says, fill them up with water. And that's the water he transferred. He says, it's not John's baptism. Later on, we'll see in Acts. What baptism have you been? I've been baptized with John. Well, that ain't good enough. You need to be baptized into Christ. Into Christ. Why? Because he's baptizing in the Holy Spirit. And he's going to remain. He's not going away. He's going he's to stay here in our life. He's forever going to possess this temple. And he, so he says, fill those up with water. And he changes. He transforms that water into wine. And he says, take it out to the, and they take it out to the rest of it. It's the best wine they've ever tasted. And there's a reference to the, to the book of Joel, I believe. And I'm going to get these up here. I can read them if I have to. I didn't see that change. The prophet Joel. In the fr- it's three chapters. You should read the, gos- the, the, the gospel of Joel. You should read Joel, the prophet Joel. Chapter 1, wake up drunkards and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. He said, despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. They have no wine in this prophetic uh, book. The second chapter changes. The Lord replied, I am sending you Grain, new wine, and olive oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. And then he says, and afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, and your old men dream dreams, and your young men will see visions. And we know at Pentecost, that's what Jesus God was doing. He was baptizing us in the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and they referenced this story. That's chapter 2. And then chapter 3, in that day, the mountains will drip New wine, and the hills will flow with milk, and all the ravines of Judah will run with water. A fountain will flow out of the Lord's house and will water the valley of Acacia. There's a story here. We're out of wine, and God, creator of the universe, comes on the scene, says, I'm giving you new wine. Things are going to change. Your life can flow. But here's here's the deal. What about us? Where are we in the story? Are we following the Jesus that Jesus to do? Are we trying to get him in our agenda? Or are we actually following him? Do we need a miracle or a sign? Or we, do we need to rest in who Jesus is and trust his story for us? Have we accepted Jesus' invitation to enter his life? Or have we invited him into ours? We're still kind of running, <laughs> running the show a little bit and wanting, to, wanting God to do, to do what we say. And that's a life that will lead to disappointment. But God says, no, come to me. Come and see. I am everything I say I am. Follow me. Please follow me. Together, we, will, we can change the world. We can, there's no telling what we can do together. Follow me in this life. And eventually he'll say, go with me and make these changes.
Where are you? Where are you in the story? Where are you in the process of your discipleship? Where are you in the story of the new wine? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the great provision. God, there is no other God like you. There is no, no other God. We could never make up the story, Lord. We could never make it up. It's just unbelievable. And we would only know this by your revelation, you revealing it to us. And so thank you, God, for revealing your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.